you see me. Severin, Sam Severin, that's at Sam Severin, Sam with two M's, and Severin uh, is spelled um, like uh, S-E-V-E-R-I-N, I believe, I'll have to double check that, uh, it's at S-A-M-M-S-E-V-E-R-I-N, at Sam Severin on Twitter, um, not to be confused with Sam Severin, my guest today. Uh, Sam Severin on Twitter is actually Graham, who is uh, another uh, friend of both uh, myself and Ms. Sam Severin. I think they go a ways back. And um, his name on Twitter, confusingly, is uh, Sam Severin. So go give give him a follow. He's very fun. It's a very like weird kind of uh, um, a little bit trippy Twitter account. Um, he's a very fun, funny dude. I believe he does stand up, or uh, I, you know, no, I haven't really communicated with him in a, a long time. Uh, we just kind of follow each other on Twitter, and um, so uh, maybe like to, as I talk about in this interview, which I just finished recording with Ms. Sam Severin, um, who is at Waitress Boner on Twitter. Uh, I, um, I'd like to have, uh, Graham on here too sometime. Um, he's a fun, funny dude, uh, as well. But, uh, anyway, um, uh, but he's a great follow. So go give him a follow at Sam Severin on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I, um, sorry to say though, that this means Graham, that we're going to have to meet at the K and K as soon as uh, school lets out. So we can wrestle. Uh, so I'm going to clobber you one in the parking lot of the K and K. That's uh, that's what's happening. Um, if you'd like to get called out on Richie so we can fight at the K&K uh, sometime soon, please um, drop me a, a line on the Twitter. Give me a follow at Haas underscore Bossman. And then we will uh, I make my might call you out here uh, on on the on, on this show, which is called Richie with me. Oh, Bossman. Um, and, uh, oh, is that, we, I do a theme. Actually, let's get a tempo. Welcome to it. Uh, this is a very special episode, an interview with Sam Severin, uh, not to be confused with at Sam Severin. 
Uh, she is uh, a great stand-up comedian, an awesome musician uh, who is uh, in a band that she fronts called Small. And it's lots of, uh, it's a very punk rock, very raw, awesome, fun band. And as I, I kind of talk about in, in this interview, there's a, it's a, it's a, it's not like uh, she's a comedian, but it's not like a joke band. There is still kind of a sense of fun and lightheartedness to it, but it's, uh, but it, it, but it's very like straight ahead, badass punk rock, and it's awesome. You should go check it out. They have a new album out. I can't remember what it's called, but I actually um, bought the newest album of theirs and uh, go support artists that you like on Bandcamp, especially uh, smaller ones uh, like Small. Huh? Maybe that's why they call it that. Um, I'm going to make this a short intro, actually really short this time. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty busy. We're at a point in the school year where, you know, I'm teaching these children how to read books. And, uh, so I'm having to do that and I'm real busy with that. And I just, uh, talked to Ms. Severin about uh, everything under the sun from politics to Marilyn Manson to Nirvana a little bit, not nearly as much as we were kind of planning on, uh, but uh, we'll save that for next time. Um, And, uh, you know, comedy and all kinds of stuff. And it is a great conversation. Y'all are really going to love it. Sam is very funny and fun. She brings positive energy to every everything she is involved in. Uh, She brings, uh, it's not just positive energy. It's like very fun, interesting energy uh and it's great and she's great and you are gonna love this she heads uh and so um thank you very much for tuning into this episode you might have heard uh there is a new anchor ad finally that uh that one had been going for a long time and i apologize for not updating that because i know you have to hear at the beginning of every single episode so this one i really love uh took a little bit of a just left turn into some nice sexualized funk uh which you know um tried out a new microphone i got with that and combined it with the one i'm i use now for the the smooth buttery broadcast uh and um put those two signals together and made it just a very um buttery smooth anchor ad for you which i hope y'all enjoy uh because you're probably gonna be hearing that beginning of every episode of breadsheet for a while um Let's see. I think I think that should pretty much do it. Let's go ahead and get to, um, or should I do like a, uh, what's in the news? What's in the news? Let's look at some headlines here. Uh, Briar retires. Uh, that is the extent of my political commentary for today. Like I said, I just don't have, just go watch uh, Majority Report with Sam Cedar and uh, other leftist progressive political youtube things watch david pacman even though he is an imperialist swine uh i love david pacman and he's very cute and funny and uh, as i talked about on my youtube channel go check out my youtube channel it's the haas bossman youtube channel got video essays and music and all kinds of shiznaws there um oh christy yamaguchi main was a friend of the show christy yamaguchi main who's been on a couple episodes uh early on he was in the first episode actually um he is uh, he was on the daily zeitgeist recently go check out the daily zeitgeist love that podcast jack miles shout out and uh shout out to all the sheet heads 
and um, all the folks who aren't sheet heads but are still awesome. Uh, Zeitgang folks, I, I follow and follow me on Twitter, and uh, the Poetry Crew, who, you know, other friend of the show, Chris Crofton, we're all big fans of his poetry, and uh, we all get down with that, um, and have like a group chat, and uh, we got shouted out, uh, I believe, uh, on Breadsheet, this podcast was shouted out by Christy Yamaguchi Main on the Daily Zeitgeist. Very big deal for him to be on that show because he's been uh, contributing AKAs to them uh, very skillfully and brilliantly for the past several years and I think five years going. And they finally had him on as a guest and he is awesome. Um, and you know what? It, not that he needs it because his account is a lot bigger than mine. He uh, obviously just had a huge platform with the Daily Zeitgeist. And, um, t- but he did an awesome job. Like, go back and listen to that. I think it was... Uh, the episode that was released this past Monday, uh, today is Sunday that I'm recording this, January 30th, so whatever the last Monday was before this, um, it's that episode, go check that out, he is so funny and great on it, just he's a natural on the microphone, Chris Yamaguchi Main, he has uh, a couple of great bands also, Bandolero and Beard of Antlers, uh, he's, uh, they're based out of Wilmington, uh, great sort of like rock and uh, a little bit punkish sort of heavy-ish bands, um, and uh, Christy, uh, great, big, long, ZZ Top beard, and awesome dude. That's the first episode of Breadsheet, too. Uh, go, go back and listen to that as well. Um, you know, still was finding my footing there, but old Yamaguchi is a great dude. Um, and uh, he, uh, I'm a big fan of his podcast, which he actually named. And I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that because it's, I think, a great Jort Center is the name of the podcast. Um, and uh, I came up with that uh, name and, uh, so not to brag, but it's a great podcast to go check that out. It's like five dudes who are friends that actually they, uh, are doing a thing that I've been wanting to do for a while, which is get my like, you know, group of four or five awesome friends, uh, Samuel, Mr. Stacy, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to, um, Jan McGahee. I'm talking to Brandon Kryak, um, Max, um, I think those would be uh, Reed, um, I get a lot of Matt Brewster, uh, there's a lot of Jim, Bo, God, I have so many cool, funny, smart people who would be awesome to have on the show whom I've never had on the show, so uh, let's get let's get to that, um, Samuel, Stace, he has been a little bit on the show, just like a few minutes thing where we talked about the Matrix, so let's, I'm going to have a special episode with him sometime soon, uh, anyway, shout out to all y'all. And uh, Jort Center, go listen to that. Uh, listen to Chris Yamaguchi Main's episode of The Daily Zeitgeist. And uh, you know what? Well, I'm gonna shut my, I'm gonna shut my big old mouthery do, uh, my pie hole. Um, as I remember when I was, it's funny the things that we remember. Uh, when I was in like sixth grade or something, I wrote a short story. Uh, for class that somebody proofread and it was like a cute girl I remember I had a crush on uh, like read a workshop the story or whatever and she laughed at me and made fun of the fact that I used uh, the word pie hole because uh, I said like shut your pie hole I don't know I we live and learn right um uh, and you know things like that I think it probably made me a better writer. So thank you. Much like um, it made me realize, you know, not all little cliches that you've heard need to go back into be recycled into your writing. Um, made me think of the, the great Tom T. Hall song, which if, if you haven't heard, 
uh, Chris Crofton's most recent episode of Brecci. He's been on a few times now um, where we honor Tom T. Hall. It's just a couple episodes ago. I believe it's episode 30. Um, uh, who, you know, he recently died and just a, a god among men to me. Actually, I put that episode, uh, that whole interview up on my YouTube channel. Again, Haas Bossman. Uh, go check that out. And uh, anyway, um, uh, Tom T. Hall has a great song called Pamela Brown that has a really good conceit. I don't know if I've heard in any other. I'm sure it's been done before, but uh, it's like uh, this song is about how he he's thanking a woman who uh, he didn't marry because she like turned him down. And he's like thanking her for basically saying like, hey, if I had if you had said yes to me, we would have gotten married and I would have like wound up living in the suburbs, having a super boring life. And instead, I've gotten to like, you know, travel the world with my music and meet all these interesting people. And I guess I owe it all to Pamela Brown. Great song. Go look it up. Um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, anyway, I should play that on the stream. I know how to play it. Um, uh, OK, so uh, let's let's get to um, uh, just my my little plugs I got to do for myself. Uh, first of all, uh, Miss Sam Severin at waitress boner on, um, Twitter. And then she's on, um, uh, Instagram too, but I don't really know. Uh, her name is always changing. It always has something to do with, um, violence against Jerry Seinfeld. Um, and I'm not sure if it still does, but usually it has something to do with that. But follow her on Twitter. She's very funny, very awesome on there. Uh, her band, Small, it's just S-M-A-L-L. Uh, they are on uh, Bandcamp. So go, you know, they're not on Spotify or uh, Apple Music, but that's good because that means you have no choice but to support them. Um, seriously, like, if you like punk music, if you like, um, you know, any, you know, it's it's punk. Uh, definitely you can hear the uh, inspiration of, like, Nirvana. It's kind of grungy punk. And um, straight ahead, really really good stuff i genuinely love it and uh it's such an honor to be able to have people on the show whose art i really really respect and sam severin is definitely in that uh category and um uh, so cool of her to take the time to, to talk here with me and uh you should definitely go check out her stuff in fact um i'm gonna play one of her songs for you and i don't know if i'll insert it before i start this intro or now maybe i should put it before or maybe i'll like splice it in uh in the interview somewhere to try something a little different huh mm-hmm. um uh just because uh you know i i know i'm about to play her theme song that i made for her, which uh i that's what i do on this show i make a theme song for every single guest and that's one reason takes a really long time to get these episodes out a lot of times because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist on the not perfectionist but it's just like I got to get it how I want it to be and that can take some time uh, so uh, Sam I'll be working on that for you uh, and um, yeah at waitress boner on Twitter go follow her follow me on Twitter at Haas underscore bossman I'm that's my name on Instagram Twitter twit or twitch uh, which is, that's what it's short for. And, uh, I do, I've been streaming regularly on Twitch. Go follow me on there. Uh, I'm trying to do it every day because, uh, I do, I teach guitar lessons a couple days a week, but, uh, it's kind of gotten me, I want to, um, start 
just playing guitar more. Since I'm not performing live, I don't really have as much reason to rehearse and practice and write new stuff and learn new stuff. So I'm trying to uh, start building up an audience on Twitch um, so that uh, I'll have more incentive to do that stuff. And if nothing else, it's a way for me to just get some playing in every day. So I try to put in 15, 30 minutes at least um, every day. And then some days I'll just kind of go off like a king for two hours or whatever. Uh, so go check me out there. Uh, that's just Haas underscore Bossman. Again, um, that on Patreon, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, uh, Haas Bossman on Bandcamp, um, and uh, on the Haas Bossman YouTube channel. I think all lowercase bit.ly slash HaasTube. Uh, and then um, what else? Oh, oh, you find all that stuff at www.haas.fun for all your Haas needs. Uh, download the Sounds of Breadsheet and also find my serious music, which we talked about a little bit in this uh, interview here. The K-Max, the K-M-A-C-K-S dot Bandcamp dot com. You find all that stuff. Um, and uh, it's a way to support the show. Uh, you know, Patreon, that. Uh, I think that's the main ways. Um the Bandcamp stuff and and the Patreon and uh, then uh, also definitely download Small's albums. Um, they're fantastic and they're very you know uh, reasonably priced on the Bandcamp. And the newest one is a banger, so definitely get that one at the very least. And uh, then check out Sam Severn. She's got a uh, like a comedy album on. She, I think she's the first guest I've had on here who has a full comedy album. Chris Crofton doesn't have one. He's a great comedian, but. Uh, he doesn't have a full-length comedy album out, at least not one that's on, like, uh, Apple Music and stuff. If Spotify and Apple Music, and I think probably a lot of other places, you can get her album, which I think is called Stoned and Sad. It is fantastic. She's a really great comedian and legit, like, uh, just one of the funniest people I have had the privilege of knowing in my life. And uh, it's, uh, you know, great to be able to know cool people like that. Um, I hope you all enjoy this interview. I know you will. This it's not it's more of a chat uh, and it's a it's a great just high flying wide ranging conversation. Uh, and so um, check me out at host.fun. Check her out at Waitress Boner. Uh, and I'm going to do it. Uh, I, oh, I recently should I do host news? No, I'm not going to do host news. I'm going to say I got a new video up on uh, my YouTube channel that I just put up recently. It's about MLK. I uh, coincided with MLK Day a little bit, um, and uh, it's uh, I think a, a pretty cool one. It's a little quickie, but I think really the great the great thing about that one is the song. I made a theme for it for the little itty bitty, itty bitty baby sodes, which I would play for you here, but I guess I'll make that even if you don't care about what I have to say about this like little uh, MLK clip that I play, which is a great clip, and um, my commentary probably doesn't add a whole lot to it because it's MLK, a very good concise speaker, got something profound and awesome to say about everything. Um, the, uh, the theme for the little itty bitty baby sodes is like legit. I think one of the best little pieces of dumb, silly original music that I've made for any of my projects. Um, so go check it out at least for that and put some headphones on on this too. Cause it's like all stereo weirdness. Uh, anyway, here is a uh, Sam Severin's song that I made for her. It's a theme song that I have not named yet. So robot voice, what did I decide to name it at the last second when I was rendering this file? I've omacked in my belly because I tweeted that today. So sorry, Sam. That's what your song is called now because all I can do is think about a Austin Powers and I've omacked in mashups. 
and I have like five more ideas for Austin Powers Ivermectin mashups so stay tuned and be sure to follow me at Os underscore Bossman on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and Patreon for more music and hot takes and cool things. Okay, it's called that. Alright, without any further ado, here's that theme song and then my wonderful interview with Miss Sam Severin. We're all in a lot of pain. Alright, Jesus Christ, fine, we'll have Kids Corner. Is that what you guys want? Sam Severin. This dude's really heavy. <laughs> A is for abolishing the family unit. Insurmountable sacrifice is bound to lead to some resentment towards the offspring. We need to free people from the obligation of their DNA. Good job! B is for banning procreation. Procreation is evil. Do you really need something created so exactly in your image? Kurt Cobain thought heroin was really good. Interesting, huh? Didn't think so, Walt Whitman. If you're alive, you already know that life is pain. Do you really need to shove another spirit into this realm and cause it to suffer? B is for conception. It doesn't get better from conception. D, good job. D is for death. For Cobain, died in a stove top hat. Stove pipe, stove top hat. He died in it. This meeting is being recorded. Um, how does this mic work? That sounds good. It's like no noise. Yeah, you're nice and isolated. So yeah, that should work good. Um cool. so how you been, Sam? Man. I don't know. <laughs> one of my friends came into the coffee shop the other day and we were, we were just really busy on this one particular day. And my friend was like, how have you been? And I was like, I have no idea. I don't know. We were just really busy for an hour. I don't know. Do you think that's like uh, pandemic related? Probably. I don't know. I feel like I was always bad at answering that question before the pandemic. Like I'd always be like, I'm good. Wait, am I? Hold on. <laughs> yeah. I well, I, I always forget people aren't usually actually looking for like an honest answer to that. So I'll usually, I'll often give them an honest answer and they're like, oh shit, I didn't really want to yeah. do a whole thing with you. Um, <laughs> so um, I uh, I think like, so that was like a while back when we talked. Uh, so I don't really mm-hmm. remember, I know we like talked about Nirvana a little bit and maybe some other stuff, but like, I don't really remember exactly everything that we we covered in that. So like, um, I, I think like between then and now you, uh, your band released a new album. Would you consider it an EP? How many songs are on it? It's eight. Um, I don't really ever do anything that's long. So like my comedy, like album, and I'm doing air quotes for album was like 20 minutes also. And this album's like less, you know, 30 or less. Um, so to me, it's an album. And I if someone calls it an EP, I am not going to argue with them. That's fair. Um, but I don't do anything long. I don't know what the dividing line is there. I think uh, 30 minutes is is a full album, no matter how many songs are on it, I, I think. Um, but yeah, like uh, the uh, your album, it does have like 18 tracks. So I think no matter how short they are, that, that it, your uh, comedy album that's on like, 
iTunes and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so that one, I think, no matter how short they are, even if it, I didn't realize it was 20 minutes, but, um, yeah, that, so short. can, can you like, um, I know you like some Twitter friends of mine, uh, probably interact with you, uh, people who I met through like Chris Crofton and, you know, people twice removed from us and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But can you like, just, uh, tell my audience a little bit about who you are that, um, and like, you know, what you do. I I'll do an intro where I'll like talk about your music and probably like play out and your comedy and probably like play out the episode with a song that if you want to, you can choose or I'll choose or whatever, but just like, uh, Sam Severin, tell, tell folks, uh, whoever is listening, if anyone is, uh, a little bit about Uh, who you are. Oh God. Oh God. Um, I don't know. I, uh, been doing stand up for a pretty long time and, um, been, uh, playing music quietly for a pretty long time, but just kind of started incorporating that into performance and, and started a band right before the quarantine, um, or, you know, the pseudo quarantine or whatever. Um, I, um, work at a coffee shop and I do OnlyFans and that's how I buy my car insurance and um the stand up that's just how I buy my ego does not pay for car insurance in any way um <laughs> so a little I hope that's a good intro and nice. I'm nice and I'm really <laughs> nice and everybody says I'm nice so that's my intro um <laughs> Very nice and very, I think, as I probably mentioned to you last time, you uh, of your friend group, um, the way you were always introduced to me was like, you know, I think when I first met Melanie and then Graham, like they and then I think Max kind of sort of knew you from y'all both being in Milledgeville and maybe running mm-hmm. with some of the same people. I like, like Max. And they uh, the, the way they always introduced you was that you're like funny as shit. And Aww. that would be. um like that, the person who is that in our friend group was always John McGahee. He's like the funniest person. Uh, ever so McGahee, you're in really good. So funny. Yeah. Dude, that means so much to me for multiple reasons. Uh, John McGahee is so funny. My favorite John McGahee memory was at a party at that, um, that apartment complex that the one that was just like trashed all the time or like Chelsea <laughs> and Graham and all them live. Oh, sure. Or I don't even know who lived there. Maybe Chelsea didn't. I don't know. But, um, it was a party there and I, someone was making either me or John was making wine spritzers and all night, anytime John and I would be talking to each other, all we said to each other for the whole night was just different versions of I'm spritzing. I use spritzing. I'm spritzing. I use spritzing. Um, and it was super fun. And the other reason that means a lot to me is I, back then, um, like when we were all in, you know, Milledgeville and Athens, um, I was so weird or I felt, I felt really weird and I hadn't really like figured out anything about like what I liked about being funny. And anytime I was funny, I was kind of like, Oh God damn it. I didn't mean to be funny. And um, was still kind of like, I remember all the time in like, cause I was, I was in the creative writing program at school in Milledgeville and I, you know, we'd have workshops and you'd have to like present your work to your classmates and they'd say whatever about it. And I'd always think I was writing these like very serious, like not fucking funny stories or poems or whatever. And they'd always be like, this is hilarious. Your mind, you're so funny. Um, and so it, it's nice that uh, 
it's nice to take time to figure out like, oh, I can be funny. Let me figure this out and not do it on accident. So, Um, I mean, that's kind of an interesting, like, I think that that's, um, you know, a, 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 I don't know, a school of, of comedy or art in general that is kind of, I don't know, it makes me think of like Tim Heidecker where like he'll, you know, all of the stuff that he makes, like the music, the stand up, even some of it. And like, you know, obviously he's primarily a comedian, but like a lot of times you'll be like listening to one of his songs or something. And it's like, is this, is this supposed to be funny or, and it like, it kind of sort of is, but it's like, this is actually like kind of like interesting and profound in a way. And then like, I don't know if when I've heard him talk about it in interviews and stuff, he sort of seems to just be like, yeah, I don't know. I just like make whatever comes to me. And then it sometimes turns out to be funny and like, I don't know. That's, I think a, a very uh, sophisticated, almost like way of approaching art. And I don't know if that's like mm-hmm. something that you ever think about uh, intentionally. I know like um, your music, which I didn't really hear until somewhat recently uh, small, which again, I'll definitely like play some of y'all's music, maybe in the intro and in the uh, outro, a couple different mm. songs. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I'm a fucking punk rock fan from, that's mm-hmm. like always been my favorite genre of music. And I think, I don't know, y'all have like a really good balance of being like, uh, sort of irreverent, but also, uh, I don't know, like there's a, I don't want to say like earnestness to it, but it does, it feels authentic. It's not, it doesn't feel like a joke band or anything like that, but it still has like a sense of like fun and playfulness to it does that make sense oh good that that's how i hope it comes across i i like that a lot thank you um yeah i knew i never wanted to do joke music i just don't i mean not that i like don't like that um that was you know i had all of the adam sandler cds and like <laughs> played them until my cd player ate them up um i love i love listening to music comedy but um i knew it was something i never wanted to make and when I was ever writing music, like when even when I was just doing it like quietly and not really sharing it with anybody, it was like, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't want there to be any kind of like, I just wanted to be sincere. And, and I feel like a lot of times with my jokes, and not all the time, but like a lot of jokes can be like, hey, here's a, here's a real emotional concept. And then I'm being a little cheeky about it. Uh-oh, am I being cheeky about it? Um, and that's cute, but I, I never wanted to be cheeky in my music. And that's never what I liked about music. I always liked music that just took itself really seriously. Um, I mean, but was big... still like irreverent enough to be like, yeah, we're going to be, you know, loud and not and study music theory or whatever. Um, <laughs> a little transgressive at the same time. I mean, of course, I think the first, I saw you posting about Nirvana and I've been kind of thinking about Nirvana and that was when I was like, oh yeah, Sam would be awesome to talk to. Um, and I, you know, like I kind of, uh, whenever I was, we were getting ready for that first conversation, I started like, uh, listening to some Nirvana stuff. Cause I'd really only heard, you know, the hits plus maybe a few that, you know, my friends would listen to and whatnot, move some lime wire downloads or something from back in the day. <laughs> and I actually like sat down, you know, and like listened to all three albums. I didn't realize there were only three, but I guess that makes sense since yeah. he died so young. Um, but, uh, I think my favorite of the three is the first album. Uh, Bleak, really? Right? Yeah. Is that, no. an, is that an unusual yeah. opinion? I think so. I don't hear that very much. Um, 
it's the I I mean and I I listen I don't really like bleach but I still listen to it all the time because I'm like there's my boys what's up <laughs> but just like lyrically it sounds so like teenagery to me and um and and that is something kind of cool about it that it's these um it's this like still forming idea that doesn't really know what it's going to become or what impact it's going to have. And um, it's just that one song I forget, I, I think it's called scoff, but where the chorus is like, give me back my uncle, give me back my uncle. That's the <laughs> silliest shit I've ever heard in my life. And it just makes me like, it just feels very, it feels very sincere, which makes it even sillier. Um but there's a, there's a, there's a raw energy to it. I love the yeah. like, sonically. I love the recording quality. You know, it's not to that level that some, you know, eighties punk is just unlistenable almost, or even, you know, garage music yeah. and stuff in that era. But like it, it is, it's, it's appropriately raw for, you know, what age they were at the time and, you know, how young of a band they were. And uh, I guess like, as Weird Al famously, speaking of comedy music, as he you know famously like commented upon with them, you can't understand what Kurt Cobain is saying like a good yeah. percentage of the time. So I didn't really, I haven't uh, looked at the lyrics really too much of any of Nirvana's music. I know that that is like one of the main things people love Kurt Cobain for. Um, so. Mm -hmm. I, um, but I still, I do have like a place in my heart for, uh, some good, like adolescent energy being brought yeah. to, uh, music. I think musically it has that. And, but what is like, what is it that, you know, originally drew you to Nirvana's music? Um, so my first, so I always heard the singles and in, you know, it was always like on the radio and people always had Nirvana shirts from Hot Topic and stuff. And in high school, I was kind of just like, I didn't really let myself like things in high school because I was so concerned with like being interesting and cool. You know, like I never listened to My Chemical Romance because that seemed like a different, a step that seemed like a, just a different vibe than like my serious music that I liked. And and like fucking like three weeks ago, I just discovered them and was like, oh my God, My Chemical Romance totally rocks. Um, but yeah, Nirvana was the same thing. It was like, yeah, I don't, I don't listen to this radio music. I'm a sophisticated 16 year old and I don't listen to what's on the radio. But uh, so I never gave him a chance. And then in Milledgeville, I bought um, Incesticide, which is like a B sides album hmm. um, at an antique store. Um, <laughs> and um, I put it on my CD player and I just like froze. Like I just kind of didn't go anywhere or like talk to anybody for like a couple days. And I just kept listening to it. And I got, I don't know. It was like, that's the last time I remember feeling like, Oh, I found something that was like hiding. I mean, and like Nirvana is like the most popular band in the world. Um, like, it's not like it was something that was hiding, but to me, it was something that I'd like hidden from myself. But I was like, my dad said Kurt Cobain's lame. So I, I don't like Kurt Cobain and maybe my dad will think I'm cool. Like, I just never, <laughs> you know, I'd been hiding this thing for myself for so long or, you know, it, it felt hidden to me for whatever reason. And, and finding it was like so exciting. And I remember I, it was over the summer and I was in some summer classes um, and I missed like two days of class <laughs> just because I'd, I'd wake up and like put my CD player on while I got ready and then just be like, fuck, I can't, 
leave my room. <laughs> and, and I knew that was not an excuse for missing class. Or like, you know, I, I knew better than to think that was legit, but I did have one teacher who was like, I get it actually. <laughs> Take your time. I understand you just found out about Nirvana. This is a liberal <laughs> arts college. If you need an extension, let me know. <laughs> that was really nice. <laughs> that is that is very liberal arts. Uh, I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I went to, you know, Young Harris and then UGA, right. which I don't know if UGA really goes, uh, you would call that a liberal arts school. It's too big maybe, but um yeah, Young Harris. That was very uh, hippy dippy kind of uh, mm-hmm. place. I loved it. Um, there is what kind of uh, what kind of. I'm just curious now because you mentioned your dad. Like, what kind of music was he into when you were growing up, or maybe just your parents in general? Like, what were you exposed my to? Are like an enigma to me. Like, my mom always listened to country music in the car. Um, my mom was very obliging. Like, I know my mom, given the choice, would listen to country radio, but. Um, when it was like, when I started getting into music, she was very obliging of like, okay, we will listen to the Spice Girls for 13 hours as we drive to Canada. I will allow this to happen on my watch. Like she's very, very kind. Um, Would make a lot of concessions for what everybody else liked. So I never really got to know a lot of her music taste. I I mean, she had like share CDs and would always like have, have certain, certain artists would be like, oh, I always like what they did, but she never got like, She's not like a fan type of person. She doesn't have like fan um, energy about her in any way, um, which is which is really cool about her. I think um, my dad listens to like, ah, uh, like Guns N' Roses and like Marilyn Manson and like a lot of corporate rock. Um, Marilyn Manson. That's that's I've never heard of anybody whose dad likes Marilyn Manson. That's interesting, right? Yeah. Um. My, yeah, my dad's kind of a. I don't know. I'm always kind of like, who told you about this music? He's a, you know, he's, he's a suburban dad. He's like a, like pro Republican guy. And oh, really? I remember one time when I, when it really came, when my confusion really came to a head, when I was like, who put these CDs in your collection? It wasn't you. I was going to take my little brother to see cannibal corpse like eight years ago or something. Um, my brother was like a little, I guess my brother would have been like 16, 17, something like that. Um, and my dad was like, they have lyrics about eating babies. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? You're not taking your brother to that. Like was so offended. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> how have you ever heard <laughs> of Marilyn Manson is the pretend antichrist oh. <laughs> for TV. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> but just, yeah, just that he was like, I was like, man, there's some, Cognitive dissonance at play. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, that, I'd say you you said corporate rock. That's like Marilyn Manson. Of course, when I was little, I was like, uh, I think Marilyn Manson might be. Even though I think a lot of people would say he was kind of normalizing like androgyny and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which maybe to some degree he did. But I I think like he is part of the reason, obviously culture in general. But why like. I just, my default thinking of like transgender people or just being transgender as being this like totally out there weird thing, because that was how he always was like 
trying, you know, portraying it and associating it with his like extreme persona and all that stuff. So maybe that's not what he was trying to do, but definitely like had yeah. some. And- I don't think, I mean, that was definitely the first time I saw a man or someone I like perceived to be a man have like big juicy titties. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I remember going through my dad's collection of CDs and being like, why does this man got these big juicy titties? He's so skinny. What's happening? I don't think he was trying to do any kind of transgender inclusivity. I think he was just trying to be like, what if I had two contacts in their different colors, put yeah. some boobs on me. I'm crazy. Right. What if I said I was the antichrist? Blah. Um, (laughs) I think when I was little, I was like, oh, that's because my dad is pretty conservative, you know, listen to country music. And he was always uh, very, um, you know, people with like like men with earrings or people with mohawks or dyed hair or whatever. He'd always be like, oh, that's weird, you know, Um, (laughs) like pretty, pretty tolerant guy considering like what his politics were and are and stuff. But like, you know, always he just had a weird, an aversion to weirdness that I completely inherited with the opposite of that from him. Like, I just love anything <laughs> that's a little, you know, out there different from what I'm used to, but like he, um, uh, I know like, uh, maybe, you know, instilled in me from him a little bit and his attitudes and just my parents being from the South and conservative and stuff, but like, you know, Marilyn Manson, I always just saw as like this freaky, scary dude, you know, especially when I was little and, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, and, and, but then as I got older, I think like by the time I was in high school, I, I would see Marilyn Manson, that's fucking lame. It's like super performative, like seems really inauthentic. And it's like, you know, I, I like some punk music that is pr- probably, you could say is like offensive just for the sake of being like offensive or transgressive, but like, it's just so obvious in his case, yeah. real thirsty, real. Is that the word the kids use? these? It things? is. It is. And I, uh, I kind of, I was talking with Jake, the drummer of small, and it kind of made me realize like, sometimes there's stuff that I just like, don't see through. Like, obviously as a kid, I was, you know, the word antichrist would be like hard to look at and it would like trigger my OCD and I'd be like, I got to get that word out of my brain. I just saw the word antichrist that I'm going to hell. You know, it was very uh, upsetting, his whole scary thing. But as I got older and, and was like, oh, scary things are are cool. I like when men have two different colored eyes or whatever (laughs) that's neat I guess um I just I don't know I didn't really ever get like into it like I was never like oh I've got all the albums and and this is where this is the best one or whatever but um once I started listening to it I I kind of just pretty blindly was like this sort of rocks he's got a spooky voice I like Mm. it and never really (laughs) saw through any of like the corporate like oh this guy's you know some weird prop of like corporate music and um and looking back i see that more now i uh my best friend took me to see marilyn manson on the rob zombie tour like Ooh. three or four years ago and i just remember being so hyped like i just his voice like was really impressive and it like really drew me in and i really loved the performance and um kind of a funny <laughs> not funny story this this the friend that that took me to see Marilyn Manson for Christmas 2020 um we ordered each other a bunch of goofy shit off the internet and because it was 2020 everything came like in 2021 or whatever um so my roommate ordered me a bunch of you know we ordered each other like stickers and patches and pens or whatever and uh one of the things was a patch that was a Marilyn Manson patch that got to us the day 
his abuse against um I forget her name, the actress, the the young actress, the day that that came out, like all that horrifying shit. So my yeah. friend like brings the mail in and she's like, well, your president arrived, but, uh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's God unfortunate. It, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll say like when, when that stuff, uh, came out about him, I was like, a little bit self-satisfied at just like, I like, I just thought like, yeah, I always saw through. He's not, he's just another like shitty fucking dude. Yeah. Like, you know, nothing like interesting about him at all. He's just like all the other fucking predator, but like he, um, but I will say that like, I, you know, when I was younger, I always thought like the, you know, I was like playing music from not that young, but like 11, 12 years old. And I always thought like, mm-hmm. God, his, the music is so like simplistic and boring and I hate it. It's like really repetitive. And, but then actually when I got a little older, like I, I came t- around on the music a little bit of like, I, mm-hmm. I get why people would be attracted to this sound. Um, yeah. cause it is, there is nothing like it's, it's pretty unique and, you know, something similar with Rob Zombie, like I weirdly, I never would have, I thought he was like, uh, kind of performative or whatever, which he is, but yeah, like when I, uh, I was like, man, I haven't heard Dragula in a long time and like pulled that up kind of recently or a couple years ago and was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, this is a really good, so like pop song. <laughs> My roommate plays that song for like all Halloween season. It's just so exciting. <laughs> It's so like, it's got such a good melody and it's like very, it's unique and get that kind of industrial sound. It's very oh, of its time. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. That concert was really, he did a really cool performance and I'd never really listened to him before. My friend that took me is like, you know, big into his movies and knows his music and I kind of missed it, but getting to take it all in there was like, oh, hell yeah. These guys spooky as shit, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely uh, came to appreciate the the, just like, you know, metal, uh, I guess like sonically, just sound wise, the the kind of besides, you know, punk music being like my favorite sort of like heavy music or whatever, like just some good 80s thrash metal. I've never really been super into it, but, you know, good Slayer song or whatever. And just all the like apocalyptic satanic imagery and stuff. Like I I always thought it was like kind of silly. And now I think it's silly, but in a really fun kind of way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I've gotten way more weirdly in the past several years. I've kind of been revisiting like touchstones of religion as like not not like as like a lifestyle chant you know mm. i'm not gonna be handing out tracks at the fucking coffee shop <laughs> um which we do get those we do get a lot of tracks at the coffee shop and oh, and recently a flyer for scientology oh um, awesome which that I, I don't know he was very friendly um he <laughs> he sure really was. he really repped the the church pretty well but just kind of revisiting touchstones of religion as um, like vessels for like things I already believe on my own, I guess, like just not revisiting religion as like joining the, the cause or whatever, but as like a, how can I encapsulate like what I, how I want to be good to people and how I want to love people. And how can I do that in a way that glorifies what I believe the most. And religion is a nice vessel for that. You know, if you don't let it turn into a, a way to make you hate people different than you. But the more I've been revisiting religion, 
the more into satanic iconography I am. Um, I just think it's more powerful in this kind of like, um, not like anti-God way or whatever, but in this kind of like uh, presentation of this like, um, of this like humanism, like the Bible, which I, I should not talk about the Bible because I, I don't read much. And so, you know, if it's a big book, I ain't read that one the most. Um, <laughs> but just from what I've interpreted about the Bible from like, you know, little stories that they tell us when we're kids or whatever, like um, there's all these like, you know, these uh, little images of things that are supposed to represent like the godly side of things like angels and like cherubs and like light or whatever. Um, and then, and then Satan and the demons are supposed to be this like evil bad guy thing. But I've, I was introduced to this kind of newer interpretation of like that there is no evil. There's just kind of here and there. Like what if, what represents like us being on earth and having like earthly desires that aren't fucking evil. Like having, you know, what is, what represents us just kind of crawling around, not being bad. Cause we're not bad, but just like having desires and feelings and whatever. And, and thinking about like the Satan and hell or whatever is just like, that's us and we're not bad and and we're just cool and Satan's cool and he's not a bad guy. He's just like a guy and we're just guys. And why are we mad at Satan? Why are we mad at ourselves? I mean, Satan's I wonder. Cool. Satan's cool as hell. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> that, I mean that he definitely the more uh, interesting uh one of the more interesting characters in the the biblical canon. I mean, and the more know, interesting character in the devil went down to Georgia for damn sure. Obviously. Yeah. Johnny's <laughs> As musicians, I think we can agree. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely had the better <laughs> song. I think like the, uh, Hell yeah. you know, whenever they like do the dueling thing in that song, it's like, obviously the devils is like so much more musically interesting than John. Johnny's just like so plays some hard. fucking generic, like, shut up, Johnny. Eat my ass. <laughs> that so bad. But the devil's got this whole dissonant, like, thanks. It's so cool. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about this issue. I think we're breaking some new ground here with this. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> but it sounds like you're, you know, the way that you uh, look at, um, you know, have uh, come to look at religion. It seems like a lot of people are, have, you know, come around on, you know, there was a phase of when the whole new atheism thing where it was like very, cool to be like uh and i totally bought into this annoying atheist who's like mm, christians are stupid or whatever but so many of us did buy into it you know <laughs> like <laughs> i'm i think the only thing that prevented me from buying into that was that i was just not willing to read a fucking book <laughs> i was like oh i gotta read a richard dawkins book if i want to be rude to people well, i'm just gonna be grouchy <laughs> I'll, that's how I'll be rude. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you, you you made the right decision. I think all those all those people are either like the only one who even Christopher Hitchens totally went like wayward in terms of being for the Iraq War and imperialism and shit toward the end of his life. But no way. Yeah, I mean he's dead now. And somebody who's been on the show a couple of times actually, Ben Burgess, is like a philosophy professor who does like leftist you know online media stuff. Oh, cool. He. Um, he, uh, just released a book. He's published a book about Christopher Hitchens where he kind of like talked about because Christopher Hitchens used to be a socialist back in the day. And then like somewhere in the early two thousands, he like went 
to being uh, not changing all of his views, I don't think, but he went to being like more pro imperialist and like, you know, I think in a part of it, I think was because of his anti-religious views made him kind of have this like skewed, skewed view. This is just my take on it. Like skewed view mm-hmm. of um, Islam, seeing Islam as being like uniquely threatening or something like that. And um, though, you know, I could be kind of putting word, words in his mouth with that, but anyway, He's like dead, fuck him. Put yeah, anything yeah, you want in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah, fuck him. Um, and apparently his brother's like a huge right winger and like always has been or something. But I don't know. Uh, I, I still haven't read uh, Ben's book, but I'm I'm definitely gonna do that soon. But uh, he as soon as school lets out, I don't have time to do anything with teaching these goddamn kids. But um, mm. the uh, but but yeah, um, sounds like you kind of have taken on a more like it's almost like Taoist or the the sort of yin yang i think that's from taoism i don't know uh, i don't know much don't about know. that stuff but it's something like mm-hmm. that pa- paganism i think has those same kinds of things where it's like there's not really like a concept of good and evil it's more of like uh just like different forces and you know i think as far as i know from my like just alan watts kind of shit that's very i'm sure watered down uh like western eyes or simplified maybe it's like about just kind of like you know, going with the way of the, you know, not interpreting things as good or bad, just sort of like trying to leverage just the way of things in a way that, you know, yeah. meaning or something like that. I really, I really appreciate that kind of view on things. And I definitely think that like when you jump into the like, all religion is fucked up, all religion controls people. It's like you erase so much with that. Like, yeah, religion gets fucked up. There's, priests like raping kids and there's people like you know kicking their kids out of their own home because they're not the way that they the bible says they're supposed to be or whatever like it can be very fucked up but when you say like all religion is the root of all evil like you were raised like culture broke up for a second where people got together and said huh you broke up for a sec there i don't know if it was the connection or uh something but you, you sound but, fine. Yeah, now. saying like there's no, there's like nothing beautiful about religion is like that. There's a lot of truth to that, but like there's also like there, there's an origin of like you know people trying to like commune with something higher than them and creating these flawed systems to do that, and that's kind of beautiful. And and I I don't know how to reconcile good and evil. Like I I don't believe that on the one hand, like, I don't believe in sin. I don't think we're sinners. I don't think we need to be forgiven. I think we're all people and, and that we're just supposed to experience what that is. But on the other hand, like, you know, I, I'm not so naive that I don't think I can't like, you know, open my eyes and and look and be like, Oh, there's so much evil. There's so much <laughs> fucking evil. Like there, people are hoarding resources and and like burning the planet down and they're like cutting down a forest in Atlanta as we fucking speak to build room for like a police militarization academy. And it's like, that's evil. That there, There's nothing else. There's no other word to call that. That's fucking evil. So like, where, where do I place that in my worldview? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just uh, to stop. That, I mean, the, the problem of evil or whatever, that's like a, a big, uh, thing that like theologians debate or whatever so it's a problem for religious people and non-religious people i guess like trying to wrap your head around a concept of like you know i don't know people uh i guess the um 
the very atheistic, like the Marxist way of looking at it, maybe, or I don't know, maybe like critical theory way of looking at it is like how the uh, systems sort of like encourage or discourage certain behaviors. And it's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to call a system good or evil if it's like, I don't know, that the people are just kind of acting in their own interests and it has like all these other effects and um you know like systems theory or whatever is like you know the it's it's all based on how everything interacts with everything else um and uh like but you know speaking of like christianity something that i've i've wanted to get somebody to talk to about this uh maybe like somebody around here this is uh there's a lot of like um i think churches around here that have like a history of um south georgia and uh i think there's like yeah. an area that i'm in uh yeah <laughs> some some churches that have like that aren't like definitely surrounded by some crazy people with the trump signs and all that but like there's uh i think mm-hmm. um a lot of kind of more activists or churches with an activist history that have like you know that were involved in the civil rights movement and stuff like that as there are in atlanta obviously um and uh That's so, so cool yeah, I think it'd be interesting to get somebody on to talk about how like religion or Christianity specifically, like how that uh, sort of uh, overlaps with like social justice causes. And, you know, I know just a couple of people who have gained some notoriety recently who like have seen like Cornell West talk. He, you know, is like big on the Bernie campaign and stuff and like really good about talking about how, you know, religion should be if you're following Christianity and like Christ's teachings and stuff, then you should be a like, you know, socialist or, you know, be like doing everything you can to have policies that are helpful to people and, um, you know, relieve suffering in the yeah. world and stuff like that. So um, there's, and my sister is uh, pretty religious. She and her husband, like, I think both go to church and stuff and are raising my niece religious, but they're like super progressive and you know you gotta send her those slayer cds and shit you gotta be cool (laughs) uncle you gotta do it it's Uh, your job um yeah i don't Um, don't know how my sister would feel about that but she's they're also very like kind of hippie-ish about the way they view their religion i think so they're very like mm -hmm. politically progressive and all about like um you know all about rejecting i think like the conservative co-opting of christianity which is cool and um you know, who am I to, and that like annoying atheist phase or whatever, when I would have like argued with my sister about like God's existence or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like, you know, what? it's very arrogant to think that, you know, better than other people for one thing. And then also it's just like, dude, I mean, I'll, I care a lot more about like people caring about other people in this yeah. actual life. And if religion helps them do that, then that is like, that's good on the whole, in my opinion. Right. Totally. And that's, that's the point of God to me is that, uh, is just kind of this understanding of like, whatever other people need to get closer to whatever they think God is without, you know, um, like I I don't, I don't want to stand in anybody's way by taking away their like freedom or safety or whatever. And, and, um, what you're saying earlier about Cornell West and speaking on the Bernie campaign and, Um, I think it was kind of like when I started to like 
kind of let myself be more emotionally impacted by the news and get worked up about it that I started getting really angry at like Christian speakers or Christian, you know, talking heads or whatever. Um, and the way that like the way it felt for me to be like that, like I, I would get so angry and be like, you, that is not, you don't know what you're speaking of. Like, don't, don't try to tell this story about Jesus of Nazareth and then change all the fucking details. And because I was getting so fucking like red in the face, like hot bodied, angry about it made me be like, wait, why do I care so much about how people are interpreting Jesus? <laughs> Should I read about Jesus? Is that what I like now? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I, and I, and that was nice. That was nice to like, realize like, um, yeah, the, or for, for me, I guess the point of, of religion in that instance was like, there should be some understanding of we like help each other and are good to each other and don't take things away from each other for any reason. Um, and I, yeah, I think, I think it is like the idea of social justice and peace that makes the the interpretations of Jesus's teachings that I've been exposed to mean anything to me um, is like seeing the real world practice when those things are not implemented. Um, and those things are in every religion, like not it's, I'm just saying Jesus. Cause I was raised here in the South and never left my fucking hometown. So I, I have to talk about Jesus. If you don't leave your hometown, that's the rule, Absolutely. but <laughs> it's just what it's just what it has to be. Um, but yeah, I know that's like a tenant of like any of most people's belief systems, except for the religion of capitalism. That's the only religion <laughs> that is like, yeah, take things from people, step on people. It doesn't matter. Worship yourself. You are God. I Whoever has the most money is God. Like that's the only uh, belief system that's like become a really toxic religion that I'm angry about at this moment. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, that's, I think, a really good way to put it is that, like, uh, you know, we um, at first, I don't think it's any coincidence that I sort of like lost religion, um, you know, that I was raised with when I was around the exact same time I got like really, really into like leftist politics when I was like, you know, 12, 13 years old. And um, I think oh, it kind my of, heart. <laughs> I know it was um, You're so sweet. I was writing like little writing like uh, anti-war punk songs about and like shit about like I had no idea what the fuck I was talking about when I was like 13. But um, I uh, that's so cute. I wish we went to middle school together. Oh, my God. We Yeah, we totally that's would so have been cute. friends. But um, the uh, uh, but I, I think it kind of, you know, getting that like all of a sudden caring about something else really deeply, like sort of yeah. in a cause or whatever, sort of definitely filled where I that energy had been going. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we definitely had a big long period that maybe we're recovering from now, hopefully, uh, maybe in some ways, uh, with like the growth of leftism or at least progressivism in a lot of ways with, you know, the way it's kind of grown since Occupy and stuff, um, that like we, this idea of, Christianity is the enemy or Islam is the enemy or, you know, anything like that, that like, you know, it takes a little bit more of a, it's totally understandable that as a teenager, you would think that because it takes a little bit more of a sophisticated, like line of thought to realize that, yeah. you know, the 
Um, I remember, you know, George Carlin. I still love George Carlin and Will, you know, Woo! I think there's there's not a big George Carlin fan. I mean, comedian, you know, you kind of have to pay homage. You gotta. But, um, He's so sweet. He, uh, you know, there. I think there's very little even now. I still listen to him quite a bit and I have like everything he ever did memorized by heart. But like, you know, I, I think there's still quite a lot of George Kong stuff that holds up and where he's commenting on things. Oh, it's yeah. like, damn, it's still the exact same way today from 40 years ago. But, uh, you know, yeah. one, of, one of his really famous lines is uh, more people have been killed in the name of God than any other reason. And I totally get what he meant by that. And I, you know, I think there's probably some truth to that, but I think I th even when I was younger, I think like I kind of quibbled with that a little bit. Like I think really more people have been killed in the name of, property than any other reason it's just that god has been That's used true. as a justification for it like a lot of the time yeah. and that that idea that you said of like global capitalism being a people do treat it like a religion in a lot of cases um, yeah and property and, is like the like substitute that in for god and that's our that's our national religion like and i think i think we are still like killing people over property but being like it was in the name of god yeah. <laughs> religiously sanctioned and it's like no there's y'all got some pretty liberal definition of god if it's uh like no i killed him over seven thousand dollars because that's how this amazon factories run so you know seven thousand dollars is what it was <laughs> well and you know these days um uh i guess i guess i don't know to what degree like fucking uh you know, the Rockefeller or whoever, like back in the day had to kind of pretend to be Christian publicly. I'm sure they did to some degree, but like mm -hmm. nowadays it's like, you know, Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg don't have to like pretend to be Christian. I don't think we, I mean, I guess. Mark Whoa, Jewish, I've never but. thought about that. Yeah. Anybody that we all like nationally were like, this is the person we're giving the money to would have had to be Christian or, or at least like, yeah, you can't run for president and like not fill in the religion thing with like anything but Christian. Yeah. Or Catholic if you're like, I'm riding the rails here. Yeah, you can be a little hard. crazy. And um <laughs> I mean, I wonder if uh I have to think that it would have maybe on some level if if Bernie had won the nomination, uh, if he had been allowed to win the nomination, if he would have if that would have been like a huge hurdle for him, the fact that he's you know, Jewish, uh, I don't know, I doubt he's very oh, yeah. religious, but like he, he's not just Jewish. He's like Jewish in a very like kind of a regional, he's got like an accent that's like you associate with like Jewish people from up North. And so there's like a, I think, um, I don't know. I think that people would associate him with, even if they don't even think of it as the Jewish thing. I think that's a, something that happens with anti-Semitism actually is a lot, a lot of uh, bigotry, but like, People sort of yeah. uh, associate a set of characteristics with it that they dislike and don't realize that they're just like one step removed from actually like being. So they think it's OK, you know, from being actually it's like anti-Semitism anti or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like to, you know, give people some credit, I don't think they even realize that that's what they're doing a lot of the time. Um, I think that like a lot of uh, Southerners specifically would if they saw like you know jerry seinfeld and bernie sanders and 
you know, a Woody Allen, like walk into a store or something, they wouldn't even like register that those people are Jewish. Cause I, I think it's so anti-Semitism is like so internalized, but they would like see something about their regionalisms that they don't like. And it's like, those things are yeah. the things that are kind of associated with being Jewish. Um, maybe, I don't know. I'm kind of just like, uh, free associating now, but um, but mm. it, we kind of got naturally sort of went into uh, talking about politics um, a bit there. And I was just you said you were like raised by um, this is supposed to be a political podcast. I was it's like kind of a podcast oh, about oh. art and politics. But the reason I originally started it, and I don't know if I've actually ever explained this on the show. I kind of always thought maybe I'll do it eventually. But that uh, I was um, I was just getting really like when the pandemic first started and a couple of months had gone by and it just seemed like nobody was like just taking control of the situation in any kind of meaningful way. And um, I guess I was having sort of authoritarian impulses on some level because I was thinking like, just fucking stop listening to Trump and somebody just like say, all right, fuck him. We're going to like make a, make a spreadsheet. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do, we're going to make a, a, somebody who's good at like doing shit, you know, telling people what to do, like, make a thing a spreadsheet and tell us like what to do about this because like you know obviously nobody actually knows how to handle this but i'm sure that somebody could uh allocate some duty i'm like i'll help out you know but anyway i i just i was like i felt kind of uh frustrated and like um you know i should uh, i should start you know just like interviewing some of these i just got in really into like leftist online media youtube channels and radio shows and stuff like that podcasts uh a few years ago and um then was like you know i think i could actually like kind of contribute a little bit mostly just interviewing people because i've you know done a good bit of that writing for flagpole back in the day and stuff so um but I, so yeah, this is supposed to be a political podcast. A lot of times it isn't really talk more about like music or something like that, but um, what, and I like to kind of talk about the intersection of those things, art and politics. Um, but you, you know, very weird that your dad would listen to Marilyn Manson and be conservative, no. but what, what kind of like, <laughs> uh, what, what, what brand of, of conservatism would you say you were kind of raised with? I'd say just kind of like a don't rock the boat sort of conservatism. Like when I started dressing like punk, like when I bought like a pair of pants from Hot Topic or whatever, um, my mom was just like devastated. I mean, you would have thought I was like, I'm changing my name to Baphomet or whatever. <laughs> like she was so devastated. And at the time I was like very involved in my church youth group. I was like, very, like, my family went to church because I was like, can we go to church, please? I really want to go to church. Hmm. Now, real heads will know that the reason was because a very hot skater boy from uh, my middle school was also going to that church. Um, we later ended up working together at the same restaurant, uh, which is a cool thing that happens if you never leave your hometown. And I don't know if I ever told him like, <laughs> hey, I went to church to try to flirt with you and ended up getting religious for like 10 years. <laughs> but um, yeah, my my family never was like, you know, would like for never forced us to go to church really, unless my mom was like going through something or whatever. But um, yeah, I was big on like making my family go to church. And um so which they which my mom like totally obliged. Um and uh but yeah, when I 
started to like look different. Like when I started like presenting a little edgier, my mom was like devastated. And it was, and looking back, it's like, I see this like culture of parenting of like your, which is super toxic and not fair to the parents or the kid, but like your parent, your child is a reflection of you. If your child's weird, you're weird. And everyone's judging everybody for everything all the time. And if, uh, you know, if your kid's troubled, then you must be fucking up at home or whatever. Um, when everybody's troubled and everybody's fucking up at home, like who fucking cares? But, um, yeah, for me, like looking back now, seeing like, like being like, what the, why is my mom like throwing away my black nail polish? Like, what's the big deal is like, I see it now as being this thing where she's like, I'm going to be so fucking judged if you don't just look normal, please just look normal so that I don't have to deal with people maybe possibly silently thinking that I'm not being a normal mom. And, and that like kind of the anthem of that, um, that, that kind of like suburban, that suburban era being like, just if if everybody's normal, then you're good. Like that, like to my mom, like having that, like, I'm sure like subtly ingrained in her of like, if you want success is a picture of your family where everybody's fucking normal, please. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was something I look back and now see like, oh, that's why you were so weird about that. I, not that it makes any sense, but because um, we weren't normal. We were a weird family. Um, and that's fine. But and, 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 you, and like no one was normal. Yeah. What, what you said there that really like um, I, you know, I always maybe had some sense of that. I always liked, like I said, you know, I was always attracted to counterculture stuff and, you know, embraced mm. my weirdness on some level or another. And, um, I, uh, you know, I, I was, it didn't hurt that I was liked being the center of attention. So being weird is a pretty good that's way my to favorite. that happen. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, um, you know, stand-up comedian and, you know, stage performer in general, right? Like that's uh, a big thing. It's always, you know, you have to be able to admit that. Uh, and, yeah. um, I, uh, that's my mom was always really big on the whole, like, uh, you know, Karen, you're being weird. You're going to, people are going to think you're, uh, you know, we're gonna have to leave, move town and stuff. Fortunately, my dad was never like that. My dad was always very like, uh, you know, he, uh, was pretty accepting of like my idiosyncrasies and stuff. And he, um, he just thought weirdness was weird just because he was always big on like not caring what other people think or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, uh, I mean, I, I lived with my girlfriend's family, uh, the past like three years before we moved down here. Cause she was in law school and, um, we, uh, so, you know, we uh, didn't have, and I didn't really have like a super good paying job or anything. So like we lived with her parents to save money mostly. And, um, we, uh, and we we're like living in their basement and, after three years and they're like totally, I mean, they they live in a house big enough where we could live in their basement, you know? So that's like already that's more suburban than, yeah. Um, we, it was, and it, it was actually pretty nice because her mom's a good cook and all that stuff, but, um, that's we, and they're, you know, very nice. And I actually do like them. Um, and they're not like crazy conservative weirdos or anything, but, um, they, uh, but you know, they're very suburban dad's an engineer, mom's an accountant, you know, like, 
And they, from the outside, look like a very, like, you know, fairly upper middle class, wealthy. And then, like, you know, living with them, I just completely, it's like they're just dysfunctional in, like, all the same ways that my family was. And, you know, when I got to know my friends, the way that their families always were. And it's like everybody has that. And I think, like, the... um you know, maybe the, the families who are best at hiding it might might actually have it the worst. You know, it's not I'm not saying that my girlfriend's family are like, you know, uh, insane or anything. I think they just have like the normal amount of like families, you know, a family yeah. with three kids. Parents have been together for 30 years or whatever are going to be have like, you know, normal interpersonal yeah, issues. up of like the like nuclear family breeds dysfunction like. It doesn't, the, the nuclear family setup doesn't have a lot of room for any of the members involved in it to explore a version of themselves that's not like constrained by that family unit. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to be pretty surprised if someone has a family that's never experienced dysfunction. <laughs> um, and also, I think like, too, like in the, you know, late 90s, like, divorce was like so common like everybody's parents like i don't know i I have like three friends whose parents are still together mm, but it was just here. becoming common so everybody who was doing the same thing that everybody else on the block was doing like everybody's getting divorced but everybody feels like oh no i'm the only one getting divorced when it's like <laughs> no this is this is the this is the wave hop on the wave um so yeah there are all these reasons for families in the mid to late nineties to be like, am I normal yet? Do you see me? Is this normal? Do you like this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, c- coming out of that, uh, fifties, uh, y- people who, you know, the, the parents who came up in the fifties and sixties who were, you know, the ones raising us, um, and you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe. And, uh, they like, there was definitely a big attitude of like, being there's a type of thing that is normal and anything outside of that is you know and i think just the fact that media is very like consolidated and everybody was kind of getting the same sort of sense of what was normal and obviously that has like just fallen apart more and more as like tv channels became more like abundant and people had just more access to information obviously the internet and stuff
generation and somebody who works with, uh, you know, Gen Zers or whatever, like they, there's definitely just like a much more like accepting just sense of like, you know, I, I will say my students, a lot of my students are still like pretty homophobic in a way, but not like, I don't know. It, it's a little different because they still like call things. The boys mostly will like call people, things gay that they don't like and stuff like that. But like, there's a, there's a good bit of kids at the school who are like, you know, uh, d- who make no like uh, make they don't pretend to not be like gay or transgender or any or, you know, maybe cross dress a little bit or something like that. And it's like it doesn't seem like they're bullied or you know, maybe they're on some level, but, you know, it definitely is, is a different level of like acceptance. And, um, you know, I think that's one. Yeah, it's good, nice good to thing. hear that that's space is like opening up for them to like because I remember in high school like we had some kids who were like out gay but um you know that nobody they they were like not super like loud about it or like uh it, it was still I don't think anybody felt comfortable probably at my high school if they wanted to like gender bend or or express a different gender than their assigned one like I don't think that I don't think there was that space. And I don't know cuz I didn't need that space. So mm-hmm. I like maybe it was there and I just was not tuned into it because it didn't involve me. Um but that's cool. That's cool. And then South Georgia. That's cool. Yeah. I'm glad they have that space. I mean, you know, this is kind of a bigger city that I'm in for South Georgia, you know, we're definitely surrounded by some yahoos like I said, but um you know, uh it's something I noticed too, when I, I taught in Atlanta, like five years ago or in, you know, uh, Conyers area. Um, and, uh, definitely noticed like more of a, an accepting attitude then. And it seems like it's even more so now. Um, but, uh, and you know, that's cool. And that probably a lot, that probably has a lot to do with just like the internet and social media yeah. and, you know, in all the ways that obviously social media fucking sucks and society has got to fuck figure out what we're going to do about social media, I think in a lot of ways, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's, it's just one of those things, like any piece of like progress or technology, it's like the the bad parts of it are very apparent to us. And maybe we just don't, uh, you know, acknowledge the good parts as, as readily or something like that. Yeah. Um, do they have to call you professor Bossman? Uh, I should start making them do that, but no, I'm teaching high school. So, um, I, I, it's, uh, Mr. I should, uh, um, I'm, I don't want to, can I, you still, I, uh, can you still do professor or is that like stolen valor? If you're out of high school, I think that's technically stolen valor. I think even if you have <laughs> a, uh, I think even if you have a doctorate, like they, a doctor is fine to go by, but I think professor maybe has to be a, a college. I was, I was in a PhD program for one semester and cause I wanted to be after I taught in Atlanta for a year, I was like, I want to teach college. And then after, you know, just doing one semester, that was like, fuck that. I would much rather teach high school now. Um, so, uh, I, uh, and you know, just different reasons for that, but like, um, I always definitely, and you know, as somebody who, uh, college, maybe you can relate to this. Uh, I definitely had more people I connected with when I got to college. Um, you know, people I could relate to, and then also just the, the academic element of it. I just was so much better at college than I was at high school. Um, and I, so I, and I just felt very like 
I loved my professors, a lot of them and stuff like that. So I, I just always thought like uh, eventually I'll become a college professor because it just seemed like such a cool lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now I don't know. It's the, I, a lot of it. It's like practical reasons. because It's just really fucking hard to get a job. Um, but and, you know, you don't get even if you do get a job, like the chances that you're going to get paid like as much as a high school teacher with a master's degree are pretty low actually. So, um, yeah. And having like a government job too, it's just like really, it's just nice to not have to worry about a lot of things. Like you, you know, very like it's a union job. And so like pretty set amount of hours you have to work, a lot of vacation time, stuff like that. Um, but you know, still, I mean, it is fucking earn that vacation time because when you're working, it is yeah, be really like taxing and, and miserable as most people could probably imagine. Um, but um, so our uh, what was I, I asked you about uh, having sorry, keep going on tangents, which that happens to me all the time. As yes, anybody, what's up? Any of how my big t- are your classes? Like, how many students do you have per class? Uh, like um, it's probably average like twenty five this semester which is not horrible. When I taught in Atlanta, I had one class at 34 kids in it, ninth graders. It was the worst. No, yeah. <laughs> that's so fucked up. It was real um, 25 is still like, that's, that's nothing to scoff at. That sounds like a lot of work. Um, well, I should say that tech, my classes have 25 in them. This is a very, very high poverty area. A lot of the kids don't go to school really they skip all the time or they uh have to be out for long periods of time because they're you know having a kid or having to oh. take care of their mother or something like that like so there's all kind and then with the virus like literally like since we've gotten back from the break uh i have some classes it's not uncommon for me to have like 15 kids absent in a class um and a lot of it is uh corona related but some of it is just like some of these kids just stopped coming to school um and dude i can't imagine being in high school during coronavirus i probably won't come to school either (laughs) yeah it seems like a lot no um yeah and they all have to wear masks all day and i uh, yeah i hate it and down here it's fucking hot and not right now but you know most of the year it was like having to wear a mask all day in school was pretty horrible and having to teach with a mask on it, yeah, I, I really hate it too. I know like, um, people, especially like liberals, uh, you know, say, eh, what's the big deal about wearing a mask? Uh, I fucking hate it. Um, it's just I, a piece of cloth in front of your face. <laughs> yeah. I have fucking sensory issues with a piece of cloth in front of my face. It makes yeah. me insane. I'll do it, you know, but I yeah. don't like it and I don't want to pretend I like it. That's yeah. Sucks. Um, <laughs> And actually, in a way, I think that acknowledging how much I hate it is almost like a helpful in the uh, these fucking pussies who like think that having to wear a mask is like the biggest assault on their freedom when it's like, yeah, I hate it. But, you know, it's worth like uh, knowing that I'm like putting in the minimal amount of effort that like I'm not spreading a disease that might like kill your grandmother or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do it, but I don't fucking like it. And I don't yeah. care who knows that I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I just, I can't wait. The number one reason I can't wait for this pandemic to be over or whatever that means is gonna eventually <laughs> happen. 
it's just having to wear, having to make the kids wear masks at school is just, you already have so many problems with the behavior of the kids around here. And like just having one extra thing that you have to just constantly remind them to do is just, it's, it's a lot. And it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty it's rough. And t- teaching through the mask sucks because a lot of, th- I notice like it's a lot harder for me to get their attention. It's a lot harder for me to like hold their attention and be like engaging when I'm talking to them. So a lot of times, like if I'm having trouble with that, even though I'm not supposed to, I'll just take the mask down for a little bit because I know I'm like losing them. And it's, it really does like get their attention so much better when they can just see my face, like, and being able, and then not being able to see their faces and yeah. it was really hard to learn their names when like all that I have to go on yeah. are their eyes and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, uh-huh. uh, but, um, yeah, uh, I, yeah, facial <laughs> recognition is big. I started like whenever I smile at a baby at work, which is anytime I see a fucking baby, I'm smiling at that baby. I can't help it, Obviously. but I'll smile at the baby and then I'll pull my mask down for like half a second. And I'm behind like a plexiglass thing. I'm not going to cough on the baby or anything, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I'm just like, I want you, welcome to earth. I want here, <laughs> some of us are smiling. All right, bye. Like, <laughs> I uh, just want, I like, I like faces. You know, do you, okay. do you think you have like a little bit of a, um, you know, I said like, seems like you know, people always talk about women having biological clocks. I think men have it too, or at least I do. Uh, whenever I see a, I've always loved working with kids, but like, I feel like the past few years, whenever I see a baby or like a young kid, I just kind of have like. I feel like an instinct to like, I want to like, you know, play with them and teach them things and stuff like, yeah. I don't know what that is, but yeah, it seems like we, uh, I think that's beautiful. I think there is some kind of like in the natural order of things, the elders teach the youth and the youth cares for the elders. And that's the way in, if we had a community based, country that's how it it would be all the time you know we're kind of like isolated in like separate households because that like benefits capitalism better (laughs) but um yeah the ideal is like and and i biological clockwise like i don't want to be pregnant my body hurts i can't imagine it hurting more (laughs) Uh, every time someone's pregnant i'm like are you do you want to sit oh fuck Uh, that looks so hard um but it seems so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, can't believe all our moms did that and like still to like go. And I, if I, if I ever did get the urge to be pregnant, I don't want to be pregnant in America. That seems fucking very unsafe. Do you have a miscarriage? You go to jail for abortion murder or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, it seems very, very dangerous to be pregnant in America. But I, I do think that like the biological clock thing is is real, not it not in the sense that I'm like, oh my eggs, I'm running out of eggs. I gotta make <laughs> gotta make my eggs into baby eggs. But just that like now when I see a child, I'm like, oh, you are who I I I must teach and guide. I must <laughs> yeah. I must be good example for you here. Like I just feel like the like I need to be like on my best example leading behavior around kids in a way that like, I I don't feel like that when I'm 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, like you're Mm -hmm. just like, I don't care. Kids are annoying. Yeah. And that's true. (laughs) And that doesn't stop being true, but you're like, Oh, I got it. I have now I've aged into this role where I am. I am the elder and will continue. will only get more elder from here on out. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. it's good when we age into that. When you, when you're like, I, 
I want to play with you. I want to teach you. I want to guide you. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think it is uh, like evolutionary psychology and talking about things in terms of like, you know, stuff like that biological clock and stuff that it's like, I think mostly based on bullshit and is like, could be kind of a dangerous thing to start like basing. Um, I heard recently like a, a biologist talking about this on some podcast or something saying like how it's like, People, people will casually talk about like having an instinct that's like based on, oh, I wonder how we evolved this or that instinct. And it's like, that is like anybody who studies evolution will tell you like that is a very like misleading that will like almost lead you in the wrong direction to try to think about things that way. Because it's like all of these like instincts that we have and stuff like they all have it's a very like sloppy process that we're all so, you know, that the we developed like into what we are through just such a long over such a long period of time to be able to like, I think they were talking about it in reference to like Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you're like terminally <laughs> online, you know, if like fucking online. Oh, you know, I'm terminally <laughs> online. <laughs> oh yeah. That's on Twitter. So you wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but I don't uh, open my eyes to look at the sun for more than one second a day. The sun <laughs> is the here. light in my phone. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think that's what they were talking about. How you know how this little lobster thing? He's like, you know, oh, hierarchies are are natural to the human species, or what? Or you know, to all animals because that's lobsters. Such a good have, the frog. Uh, that's so good. Oh, thank you. I think yeah, maybe I could. Uh, I should audition for. You, you should audition for Kermit the Frog Boys. That would be a legit. fun job. Um, but that's what Jordan. If you've never heard him speak, that's what Jordan Peterson sounds I like. Haven't. Pretty much. Um, oh, but he, um, but yeah, I think there's this whole thing about it. Like hierarchies are natural because lobsters have hierarchies and, uh, other animals have them or whatever, but it's like, you know, um, that's very dangerous thinking, especially when you're like in a, uh, social kind of species that has like complex socialization that is like, you know, can in many cases override instincts and stuff like that. Yeah. That, um, you know, obviously what else do we have in common with lobsters, Jordan? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, lobsters have hierarchies. So we should, my cabinet has teacups stuffed in it. Should I have teacups stuffed in my body and face as well? Like those are different. I don't, I've never looked at a lobster and thought it was like me. And maybe, maybe I'm not tuned into the greater connective force of life, but I don't think I'm like a lobster. They seem like giant bugs to me. Bottom feeders, I think they are. Um, yeah, that's uh, some, you know, I think there is some uh, maybe wisdom to the idea of like, um, I think one one writer I really like who who talks about things in terms of like, you know, hunter gatherers and stuff like that. And like, you know, being reminding ourselves that we're animals to some degree or another is like the way he puts it is like we're animals who build in or who live in a zoo that we built ourselves. Um, but we have built a zoo that is like completely unlike our natural environment in so many ways and is like not conducive to like healthy socialization in so many ways. So we should yeah. like be, you know, using the same, like our knowledge of, you know, where we came from to, um, and, you know, just knowing that we're animals on a basic level to, um, you know, not to like be prescriptive and talk about how like, oh, there should be hierarchies or whatever, but because, uh, it, you know, to just sort of like guide the way that we design our society um, should be like something that takes advantage of the fact that we know a little bit about like where we came from. And, you know, so yeah. 
and that we have socialization and that we can choose, you know, like we made up a society, like we can kind of make it how we, yeah. you know, is best for us and stuff. So, um, so did, uh, I'm ready for new society. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Be do cool. you, um, uh, did you get involved with politics at all? Like at a young age or did you, when did you, would you say you like became politically aware? God, I don't know if I ever, <laughs> I guess like, just like recently kind of like, um, always being like, I, I mean, I had that like middle school, early high school awakening of like, I hate order. I'm an anarchist. Mm. I will not look that up. Do not ask me to look <laughs> that up. I don't know what that means, you know, kind of thing. Um, where like this, this kind of like implicit, like questioning of authority that came from like a very like honest place within myself of like, why, how do these people get in power? What like kind of the whole power structure of like, um, there are a few rich families and, uh, they all get to make all the rules it was pretty apparent to me in high school without really having a super understanding, like a super good understanding of why that is. But just over the past, like two or three years, it's been like impossible to not notice the violence of capitalism and it, um, I, I don't think anything's made me more politically aware than seeing society fail itself in service of capitalism. Um, so while it's been like this whole time, I've been like, something's fucked up. Power's in the wrong place. Why, they should let teachers make the rules and fucking why do, uh, why do, why do we spend all this money on war and all these like kind of like big questions that don't have answers. And then, and then like recently in my adulthood being like, Oh, capitalism is the reason for all of that. <laughs> all of this, that like collecting the most amount of money and resource ownership in one place that like, that was what we were leading up towards this whole time. Oh, it makes sense that that was, that was the meeting of, of, uh, you know, why, only like super rich plugged in families even run for high offices or anything. And, um, yeah, just the, the horrors are becoming more apparent. And maybe in, in some not ways having resources. that, that might be, you know, uh, maybe it's a good sign, you know, like, uh, if, um, you know, you said you, uh, or you said something earlier that made me think like you, you never like really read any like political theory or anything like that. You were a creative writing major in college. Is that, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Isn't so dumb. Do, <laughs> well, I mean, I was an English major, so that's like another, you know, the, um, millennial kind of sides of the same coin, my man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, um, but, you know, at least, which, I mean, with a creative writing degree, I'm sure you still could get like a teaching certification and you would have to, like me though, since I don't have certification, even though I have a master's degree, I, you know, couldn't get a job anywhere other than like this place we live now, which we moved down here because my girlfriend got a job down here. Um, but like that, there's just places in America where uh, nobody wants to live. Um, these like bombed out former, like, you know, factory towns and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. uh, so there are, nobody wants to teach there. So they have to like make all these incentives to get people to, you know, move there and stuff. So 
I, uh, without a teaching certification, it was like one of these towns was like the only place I would have been able to get a job. But, um, the, uh, but I'm, I'm working on that certification right now and it sucks. Education school is the fucking worst thing. It's just so boring and damn like, education school. You're going to school school. You're going to school for um, school. Well, yeah, that's, I, I already, <laughs> I kind of already did that. And then I didn't get my certification because I'm an idiot and I broke my knee and I, you know, I was and anyway, um, I, um, I, uh, uh, so now I'm doing this, like, it's not uh, college classes. It's like the state certification program thing. And it, it's horrible, but um, hopefully that'll be out of the way at the end of this year. Um, but uh, anyway, I, um, uh, Professor oh, Bossman. Um, <laughs> um, what, oh, what, uh, so did, have you ever like, I don't know, been into any kind of like political art or maybe like read some political theory or anything like that or are you like i think a lot of people over the past few years you know the bernie camp occupied and the bernie campaign and stuff like um there's well there's a big contingent of like online leftists who are very snobby and who will be like if you don't read theory like you shouldn't and i don't really i read a teeny tiny bit i guess but it's like that's not really what's interesting to me it's like i don't need to be like convinced of the ideas you know like um and you know i guess they're yeah you know, they say there's value to it and stuff but like i don't know i'm an artist i don't really uh you know think of myself as like an intellectual or anything like that so um neither leave that to smart brains out there um and uh you know political art i think is can be a beautiful thing and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be super complex. It can just, you know, get it, tap into the emotional side of politics, which is something that, mm -hmm. fucking, you know, intellectual types forget about a lot of times why political movements fail a yeah. lot of the time, I think, but uh, anyhow, so, um, you know, any, any cool. stuff like that that you're into or mm, come across? I haven't read any theory. Don't tell my online friends. Um, okay. I haven't read, a lot i uh i don't think my art's very political um everything i do for better or worse and a lot of times for worse is completely ruled by ruled by my emotions i'm a super emotional person um everything i do is an attempt to understand or temper my emotions and make them not take you know make them make them work for me and not uh not kind of like drown me um and my uh any anytime I do have any kind of like involvement in politics, it is coming from this emotional. And I, I don't have any uh, quote involvement in politics. And I only want to make that specification because there are people like on the ground actually working and actually standing in front of the bulldozers that are trying to build this fucking cop militarization place. And um, I don't ever want to like say I've been involved when I know like good and goddamn well I haven't gotten to the streets and like pulled my weight in that way but um any any time i am like driven to care about something it is emotionally it is because i'm emotionally upset about like children not having drinking water there's and and i i loved i think it's a bell hooks um statement that like that the personal is political and and that's so true and that's the the like if if we can't like um what am I saying? Just that, yeah, like the, I I don't have um a lot of interest in like the kind of like 
playbook aspect of, of politics that I see people tracking. And it, it's good that someone's tracking these things, but you know, but this politician voted for this after they said this, but or also they said this, but they didn't vote that way. And this time I, I, I kind of can't get emotionally invested in that. Like it just doesn't. I'm like, yeah. Well, I don't know. seems like some losers in suits are being losers in suits. <laughs> I don't think I like them anyways. So I'm not, this does, this is not eye opening to me. I didn't, uh, I didn't have anything emotionally pulling me towards believing in this person anyways. But, um, but the emotional side of like, I don't like it when kids have to have a bad life or when adults have to have a bad life. And I don't like it when artists have to work until their bones turn to dust and don't get to ever make art. Like from this very like personal emotional place, that's, that's kind of the extent or not, not the extent, but that that's kind of the, that's, that's where politics intersects. My thinking ever is just like, I, I, I care about people and I don't like it when they're not okay. I don't like it when I'm not okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it, it kind of boils down to that for me in a lot of ways too. And like, um, you know, the uh, it's, you know, one reason I think it's interesting to talk to people about you know, the what art in general and like the artists place in uh, political movements, like I think, and, and, you know, just the political discourse or whatever, um, you know, I, it's, it is, it can be like hard to quantify, but um, I think uh, politics is like, you know, like you said, I don't, who, who said that you said bell hooks, the the person yeah, I political think. or um, let me look it up on my telephone. All right. Um, it, but yeah, and you know, obviously that's a, a, a big uh, quotation and uh, that I've heard many times. And like, I, I think that, uh, that it, it seems kind of, I don't know what was meant by it exactly, but, and it's always seemed kind of like reciprocal to me that like, you know, you obviously like politics, like has an impact on like every, your life at like every level on a personal, you know, uh, in a personal yeah. sense, but then, and, and, and people around you and everything and like, but then, you know, also um, uh, appealing to people's emotions, obviously, is a really important, like rhetorical technique. But it's like, yeah, that, that is the side of um, politics that is uh, that that's how you're we're going to actually like change shit in like meaningful ways, I think, is by, um, you know, getting in like sparking people's like emotional responses to in real ways, not the way that like, you know, um, uh, the fucking right wingers will constantly be like, you know, have like be aggrieved about people being woke or whatever it is. And, um, you know, the fake outrage and getting people afraid yeah. of immigrants or black people or whatever it is. It's like, you know, we right wingers are very good at that. And they, they tap into a very powerful emotional side of people in they their fear. fear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah. uh, and, and so, uh, that's something that like it or not, you know, I think, uh, leftist ideas are, they tend to be more complex and there's more, um, explanation involved a lot of times and stuff like that. But, uh, the more that we can figure out how to boil it down to an emotional appeal, most people are um, 
uh, simple. I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I mean, in a like, <laughs> they, yeah, <laughs> I don't mean like they're basic bitches or whatever. I mean, you know, people care about themselves and their families. And I think, um, that's something that maybe we as, as artists don't relate to quite as much as like, you know, um, maybe this isn't true of all artists, but like, uh, this idea of like, we're always trying to, um, like you were saying, make sense of our own emotions, express ourselves and get like squeeze some like meaning out of things and create meaning. And, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just don't really care about that stuff, uh, as much as like maybe some of us do, if, if any of that made sense, I think that the, the emotional side of politics is like something that is very much neglected on the left. Um, and it's something that, you know, liberals yeah. and conservatives are really good at appealing to. Yes. And I think it's so funny because the draw of leftism is what if society cared about itself? Mm-hmm. And then you have these people online being like, what if society cared about itself? What about this? And then someone comments like, I actually don't understand. Uh, what about blah, blah, blah. And they're like, it's not my fucking job to educate you. <laughs> yeah. Google. And it's like, I thought, I thought you were doing this because you wanted a society that nurtured itself, but okay. I guess, <laughs> I guess it's only for the intellectuals or whatever. Like I just, it, it's funny not funny but it's it's interesting how like um even in the world of rejecting capitalism capitalistic traits seep in where it's like here we are to build some version of a utopia where we all have water at the bare minimum you know whatever but like but still if I'm the holder of information and if you don't hold the information that I hold, then I'm better than you in the hierarchy of who's the best in this society that I'm trying to build where there aren't hierarchies. It's like, bro, that's not helping. It doesn't help. Yeah. I I mean, I think that right there, what you just said is like, uh, you know, some theoretical stuff. And a lot of times whenever I'm having conversations with people and uh, there are other people like me who aren't like super well-versed in theory or whatever, we'll, we'll uh, stumble upon things a lot of times when I'll kind of realize like, um, you know, and and like, I wonder if somebody like wrote about that in a book a hundred years ago or something like that concept of what you just said of like uh, everything becomes transactional uh, because we're like maybe acculturated to this, uh, our system that has gone, you know, beyond just being an economic system to being like something that, you know, everything is dictated by. Yes. And it's so hard to get out of that in in any sense of, in, in every aspect of my life, it's an active. Go, no, don't think transactionally about that. No, don't think transactionally about that. It's like a constant, like we've been taught to think of every single interaction, no matter how intimate to be transactional. And it's exhausting and it's not, it's not going to get us anywhere good. Yeah. It's like to, to survive. To anywhere, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we have to, on some level to survive, like think about so many things as transactional, but just mm-hmm. don't have to be, you know, we, we made all this shit up. We can, you know, reimagine it. And, you know, that's another, I think that that is uh, my kind of uh, overarching philosophy that I always come back to on like the uh, arts place in the political realm is like, 
you know, it can get people excited about things as it did with me, like political punk music is what got me. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of this stuff was very um, uh, prosaic, like was uh, talked was, was just like about, you know, songs about specific historical events and, you know, be a little bit educational. Um, but then I think just like uh, sparking an emotional response in people and getting them and like sparking their, uh, you know, compassion, uh, something that, um, people, uh, who I've talked to on and Chris Crofton, actually, I think I talked to him about this and some other people I've talked to on Chris, Crofton. Chris Crofton, um, you know, as, as with, uh, with you, um, I, I, it's, it's really awesome to be able to talk to musicians and comedians, his standup. I haven't heard much of cause he doesn't have any standup albums out. I don't think he's got, a, has a really awesome, have you ever heard his, um, like uh solo music um oh yeah it's so good hello it's me one of my it's I think he has, he's it's it's beautiful and he's a kind of another example he's I very think talented new, he's an amazing songwriter i love it's very um yeah uh straightforward music um very uh kind of stripped down at singer songwriter kind of stuff and it's it's really good and it, it's um it kind of is another example i think of that where you could listen to it and be like this guy's a comedian and you kind of can go like, yeah, I see how he's in this space of playfulness, but the songs are like a lot of them very like sincere and emotional, yeah, um, beautiful, like kind of sketches of loneliness and heartbreak and stuff like that. Like, you know, just great songs. Um, and, uh, and I think, um, with, uh, it's, it's really cool to be able to interview and talk to artists on here and publish the interviews and stuff of like people whose like music is like really kind of speaks to me. And I, like I said, I haven't really heard a whole lot of, I've, I've listened to the whole new album um, that y'all came out with, like what the end of last year. Uh, is that when y'all came out with it or was that? It's been, it's been we put it out and then unput it out and oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, uh, but I, I love that one. I don't think I've listened to the whole catalog. So I was just looking on, um, Bandcamp today and I noticed there was like more of it than I had uh, thought there was. So more stuff to dive into, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I can't recommend y'all's music to people enough. Um, and your stand up album, which is like really Thank awesome you. that you have, you have an album on, I didn't realize it was on, I had listened to it on Spotify before. I didn't realize it was also on uh, Apple music. Um, did you know yeah. it's on Apple music? Yeah, on the on the website where you pay to put your music on the streaming sites, you just push it and it puts it on all of them. Uh-huh. So I knew um, it was on the other one. <laughs> did, did you use uh like I know we got TuneCore? TuneCore, okay, that's we used to use that with uh, the K Max stuff, and then um you know it lapsed or whatever, and we weren't like touring or recording anymore. So uh we um I our music was off those for a while, and then I found there's a free one that um it takes a really long time for it to get put up and but i guess once it's up it's like up there in perpetuity uh so i can't remember what that was but i've got all my stuff up now or just one of the kmax albums the the what i think is the better one available um and uh oh dude you might think this is funny you might not i don't know a a couple years ago when i was doing pills and playing ukulele mm -hmm. i was hanging out with our friend chelsea and um I was like, hey, check it out. I learned a K-Max cover. Mm. And it was because you guys used to cover Build Me Up Buttercup. I learned that mm-hmm. song and I was like, Chelsea, sit down. I got a K-Max song. But it was just <laughs> Build Me Up Buttercup. Because I liked your guys' cover of that a lot. <laughs> Thank you. That was such a fun one to play. Uh, it was great. And, uh, and yeah. I still call it a K-Max song. 
Build well, me a buttercup by the K-Max. <laughs> well, uh, you know, <laughs> that's that's cool. I mean, it, it definitely, um, that one was, uh, it, it fit us very well. I felt like it had that, you know, playful, mm-hmm. fun energy to it. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, there was somewhere I was going with this. Music, Chris Crofton. Uh, About Crofton music, um, yeah. Oh, that uh, he he talked about Prince and how like, you know, Prince, his music isn't like political, but just by being Prince, he sort of is or was a, you know, was a political figure in in some ways um, because he was mm-hmm. just so himself, you know, somebody like David Bowie, who just sort of pushed blurred lines of gender and, you know, and uh just were so unashamedly unabashedly themselves like that in and of itself was a political statement like it doesn't have to be and i think that like you know just self-expression in a in a authentic way is um you know that's it's rare enough that it can be a political statement yeah it is and it really is something that in that kind of in that kind of setup it's something that gets politicized by the listener like it is just the artist being like, here's, here's what I made. This came from me and not really saying like, and this is my political stance on blah, blah, blah. But it's the listener that goes like, oh, this is politically subversive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so much more powerful than being like, here's my thing. It's politically subversive. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. That kind of, and it's more. I don't know. It just has more of a place in the, in the listeners, like psyche, just something that's like real. Mm-hmm. Um, no one likes to be lectured to. Um, yeah. Not that I, I don't think political punk is, is luxury really. Um, I mean, that's it, definitely it, it, not to use a word I'd use for that, but <laughs> See, some, um, some of it can be, but I, I, and I don't yeah. like begrudge anybody who thinks that like anti-flag or the more that really like, just we are a, propaganda band basically it's, i like a lot of that music but i totally get why some That's people like are cool. like eh, it's preachy or <laughs> yeah. whatever it is um yeah uh, overly uh, luxury or something like that but um so uh yeah we're uh oh yeah and i guess the other thing is i think art in general really just helps people cultivating their imaginations uh is something that's going to be necessary if we're going to like be people are going to be able to imagine a, a world beyond capitalism beyond just the current status quo uh, which seems to be the biggest issue i think is just a lack of imagination and it's like you know people can like poo poo the role that something like art plays in political movements but i think that you know cultivating the ability to be well, creative and flexible and then also just see something other than what's in front of you is like maybe a value that is it's easy to say, meh, it's not that important, but it's, it's something that like, I think people are lacking a, a lot of, um, in, in yeah. our society. Yeah. Like when, when the defund the police statement started being something that was like on, on everybody's newsfeed, a lot of it, I was seeing with people in this very binary thought of like, well, we're going to get rid of the police. Then what? Then there's no police. Yeah. And, and the counterpoint being like, no, we have to, actively reimagine a a model for public safety that like everything isn't as like binary and unimaginative as like either this is or it isn't it's Mm -hmm. like it it does take a lot of creativity to be like what is a solution that 
protects a community. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to take a lot of creative people thinking and trying. Yeah. Um, um, hope that happens. Yeah. Well, well I guess we just got to keep on trying. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I appreciate the, uh, the role that um, any artist plays in that, you know, no matter to what degree it's explicit or whatever, um, just people making good, authentic, honest art. It's always a good thing in my opinion. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, but we're, you know, we're coming up on like two hours now. And, uh, I think last what? time, I, yeah, I know. I think we've been like an hour 45 <laughs> or something like that. Um, I think last time I talked to you, I was like all sweaty because I had just come from the laundromat. <laughs> um, and you were, and it was summer. Yeah. And now That's it's right. It's at least somewhat cool here. So, um, and I, I have to go to the laundromat today, but and also get a bunch of work done today. So we should probably start wrapping up. Um, but yeah. is there, I don't know, is there anything else you want to add? Like stuff that you maybe were thinking earlier that we, uh, you know, that I started talking too much and didn't let you get to or something like that. <laughs> no, I talked over you a good bit, I think. Um, oh no, I don't think so. Oh God. I don't have anything else to promote or say. Um, if anybody wants to send me 20 bucks, they are welcome to, I'll say that. Um, okay. <laughs> any, any podcast listeners, if you have it in you, if the, if the good Lord says, I need to give somebody 20 bucks, you just hit me up. I got you. I can be that person for you. Um, that's all I have to promote. I don't have like a product anybody can buy for 20 bucks. Um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll say on the, I know, uh, your <laughs> is small stuff uh, is not, that's not like streaming on Apple music. Is it? Not right now. It is on Bandcamp. I, uh, we might be taking it down to, get another mix. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I've brought some other people in onto the team and asked every, got a lot of opinions and I don't know, but it's, it's on Bandcamp right now. Um, it, it may come off Bandcamp eventually, but I've, anybody who wants the album, I'll mail anybody a CD or mail anybody, um, the like MP3 file or mail, I'll email you the MP3 files or whatever. Um, Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let people yeah. know. Do I have and, any uh, words of wisdom to sign off on? I don't think I do. Give everybody $20, dear listener. That's there you go. <laughs> words of wisdom. <laughs> um, yeah. You, uh, give, the, give my man, Kevin, $20, dear listener. Just give go. him 20 bucks. <laughs> I mean, I, it's always appreciated. I, um, you know, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm going to spend like so much you know, people talk about teachers having to spend their own money. And I thought it's true. Um, <laughs> Especially with like the the pandemic, like the kids aren't allowed to use the water fountain. So I, I buy like oh. two gallons of water a week, which isn't that expensive or anything, but it's like, you so know, 90s. I, I mean, it's like, they're always, how are they supposed to like be able to, how are you supposed to be able to herd them if they're like, just basically like need water, you know? Um, yeah. What the fuck? Um, yeah, my last thing to promote is if if any if you know any teachers, just give them twenty dollars. If you don't know any teachers, you can just hit up Kevin. He's a teacher. You can give him twenty dollars. I will second that. Um, and, <laughs> I dream uh, small. I dream way small. <laughs> um, I'll, twenty dollars def- at a time. <laughs> I'll definitely uh, you know like plug your stuff, and if you like remember anything that you want me to say, or you know you want to record another little piece of audio to, that you want me to play, or something like that, just let me know. I probably won't. Uh, I'll try to get this up somewhat soon. I'll do a short intro on it, and maybe I can get it up with uh, within the next 
couple days um because i haven't put it on an episode since christmas and so i try to do at least monthly and now it's been past a month since the last one so um holidays right now that's crazy yeah, that's true um but uh yeah so uh, at waitress boner and then i've noticed that on uh, that's on twitter and that's always the mm-hmm. same username but i know i've noticed on uh um instagram your on name instagram, is always changing changing my name i was changing it to all these different things about just like violent threats towards jerry seinfeld was like the mo of my username yeah as and then i was like true. yeah i wish everybody would get on board with that that's uh-huh. what i'd like to promote <laughs> if you're online you can just get on any of jerry seinfeld's social media you can just comment fuck you um, it all started when I saw a picture of Jerry Seinfeld holding a little espresso demitasse cup yeah. on a moped. And it just like lit this fire inside me where I was like, I think you're like a bad man. I think I need to like comment on all your social media. Fuck you. And I did that and I laughed for like four days. It was, uh, it was the funniest joke I ever played for myself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> is that, uh, that's, so I'm I'm actually like kind of glad to hear that it is isn't even related to something I kind of recently found out about him is that he was like uh date I don't know if they got married or something. He's a like, fucking he's teenager. Like, yeah, it, it yeah. went in the nineties, right? Like, and he it was like I, I can't know. believe it, as recent as that it was just like it was like yeah I'm in forty five or whatever and I I'm dating an eighteen year old was like just thought of like oh, well you know the heart wants what the heart wants or whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, you know, yeah. So Jerry Seinfeld is a creep, you know, go figure everybody, uh, yeah. is a creep. It seems like, um, and, uh, every, you know, guy in Hollywood, especially, uh, I still, my mm-hmm. girlfriend and I have been recently watching a lot of Seinfeld and, um, I don't feel bad about it or anything. Cause I watch I, the fuck out of Seinfeld. It's like my white noise machine. Oh, and I hate every time. Like, I know, I know Jerry Seinfeld gets like seven pennies every time I stream it on Netflix or whatever he gets. But I love my white noise machine. It's got a little George Costanza in it. And he's like, Ready. you know, it's yeah. nice. I mean, George, George, and, George and Elaine are, and of course, Kramer, but, you know, like uh, the the rest of the cast um, carries that show. Um, and that's not mm-hmm. just because like Jerry's a piece, you know, uh, isn't, it doesn't seem to be a decent dude. Oh my God, his lines um, out. He's not acting. He's smiling and all yeah. his lines. Oh my God. I've noticed that since Jimmy I was Fallon. a little kid. Yeah. That he's like hey. always smiling no matter what line he's delivering and got nothing yeah. to smirk about bitch. Right. <laughs> like, well, he was super rich. So I guess then maybe he was just happy all the time. Yeah. yeah he's got that smarmy, like, Ooh, <laughs> Ooh, not me delivering a line. I'm not delivering a lot on my show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to punch him in the head. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you burn that bridge as a comedian. Um, yeah. Which is probably. Oh, no. Okay. I think <laughs> he's kind of irrelevant. Right. Oh, um, I think so. Um, he, did you see a few years ago he was going around on talk shows talking about uh um how he, joining the long parade of old dude comedians who are like uh, you know all pissed about uh being all pissy really about uh mm-hmm. wokeness and stuff and you can't say anything in free speech anymore and he he had this bit that he was telling on some talk show about like uh you're something about all of us with our cell phones, really hacky bit where he's like, we're all of us with our cell phones. It's like, 
you're you're sitting there scrolling on Twitter like it's you're some kind of a gay French king. And he's like complaining about this as if like it's like Bill Maher, like, oh, you're so sensitive. Everybody, it's like, no, that's just a fucking stupid joke. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. It, you know, just the, the fact that gay people exist has never been actually funny, but like none of us, you know, anybody under like 50 thinks that's funny anymore. Yeah. Hopefully. And I'm 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 not opposed to laughing at a joke about a gay French king. But mm. why is it funny that he's on Twitter? What makes him <laughs> a gay French king on Twitter? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's like I don't feel kingly when I scroll Twitter. I do it, feel gay. It's <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I French. think as a <laughs> as a good, I think social media platform should make us all feel a little bit um it's the expression of uh was like a book that came out a few years ago called um, luxury, fully automated luxury communism. And uh, it was just like kind of a book about like how it was about like reimagining society. And it's kind of a tongue in cheek title, but I've heard people refer to it as like adding different adjectives on like fully automated gay space, luxury communism. Uh, I did see that circling <laughs> the tweets a while ago. I didn't know what it was a reference to. Sometimes I don't know what it's a reference to. I just know everyone's referencing something. Oh, yeah, me too. Wordle. I still don't know what that is. Uh, some kind of app maybe don't even get me started oh. are you playing wordle little game um i'm playing wordle i love any word game i do too um, um except books i, I always <laughs> i'll sit down at night and go i'm gonna read a book and then i bust out my crossword puzzle and i'm like maybe another day yeah that's i um, i am especially for an english teacher i don't read like nearly and as much as i probably should um yeah, but, uh, make them shits light up then i'll read them yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah so uh, uh wait, i'm gonna keep talking until you like uh until your laundry pile like doubles yeah so. no, i know <laughs> i should let you get to the laundry demand. yeah and i should let you go too i i, I keep getting like I'm not doing anything. extra tangents but <laughs> um but uh yeah thanks so much for for coming on you should we should definitely do it again sometime maybe maybe we could do like a um you know have john and some people like come <gasps> on and do like a little group thing and just get real silly with it and you That'd know try so fun i should really try experimenting I, some more from Graham. I told Graham i was talking to you today and he said tell kevin i say hi hell yeah that we should totally yeah that also bring I, that I, boy on here yeah i thought about that too like uh earlier today i was like oh shit you know i hadn't really um communicate with Graham at all until I saw I think probably through you being you know friends with you on Twitter he now I'm like following him so I see his fucking weird ass hilarious well tweets. his Twitter is <laughs> at Sam Severin <laughs> that's right yeah yeah a which is a funny prank he played on me when I started doing stand-up and was like I'm gonna use Twitter professionally or you know mm -hmm. like uh I'm gonna I'm gonna curate this very well and he's like mm -hmm. well Guess who else is suffering? And that is that's the funniest joke that's ever been played on me in my whole life. And I hope I'm glad he's never changed it. It's yeah, so funny. It's it is very <laughs> funny. And uh, that's that'll be life. my um. I always call somebody out on Twitter at the beginning of the episode, so that'll be my call out this one, and it'll be confusing for the listener because it's not you, <laughs> but it's your name. Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I hope you have a, a wonderful night. And again, yeah, let's let's do this again soon. I guess I'll see you on Twitter in you know 25 minutes. I can't wait. Yeah, we'll talk <laughs> soon. That'll be fun. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope I didn't say a bunch of dumb stuff. And if I did, you can just replace it with like a wooga sounds. 
that, I mean, that'll Uh, be, oh man. And I had my, uh, I'll next time I, I, I wanted to test out a soundboard that I, uh, had been trying out that I got like the Howard Dean scream on there. Just lots of like really hacky, like morning zoo type sound effects that, um, maybe I'll, um, I'll splice them in uh, on the edit. Um, all right. Well, (laughs) Sam, have a, have a wonderful day. And again, if you, there's anything else you want me to like uh, point people to, just let me know. Cool. I hope you don't get too sweaty at the laundromat. All right. I, uh, me too, but you know, that's, that's just the way it is. Um, all right. Have a great night, Sam. Bye. We're all in a lot of pain. All right. Jesus Christ. Fine. We'll have kids corner. Is that what you guys want? Sam. Separate. This thing's really heavy. Abolishing the family unit. Insurmountable sacrifice is bound to lead to some resentment towards the offspring. We need to free people from the obligation of their DNA. Good job! B is for banning procreation. Procreation is evil. Do you really need something created so exactly in your image? Kurt Cobain thought heroin was really good. Interesting, huh? Didn't think so, Walt Whitman. If you're alive, you already know that life is pain. Do you really need to shove another spirit into this realm and cause it to suffer? D is for conception. It doesn't get better from conception. D, good job. D is for death. Kurt Cobain died in a stove pop hat. Stove pipe, stove top hat. He died in it. Alrighty, folks, that is going to do it. Thank you so much for joining me today. It has been a pleasure to bring this conversation to your earballs. Uh, I have been Haas Bossman. I am at Haas underscore Bossman on Twitter, Instagram, Twit, short for Twitch, and um, also Patreon. So go support me there. Go new stuff there. Uh, and my YouTube channel, Haas Bossman YouTube channel. Um, this podcast is Breadsheet. Give it a rating and a review if you enjoy it, even if you don't. Um, actually, don't if you don't. Uh, but um, I love you. And uh, www.haas.fun for all my stuff. And also, of course, check out the inimitable the unimitatable uh, Sam Severin. Uh, she is whoa, hot mic. Uh, Sam Severin, uh, go check her out uh, at Waitress Boner on Twitter. And um, then she has a great album on uh, a music album on Bandcamp by her band Small, S-M-A-L-L. Go check them out. They're from Atlanta, Georgia. I think there's a couple acts called Small on there, but uh, they're the one from Atlanta. And um, great uh, recent release that you should check out. And I'm blanking on the name right now, but I'll insert it here with the robot voice. Decatexis. And uh, she, and then also she has a stand-up album called Stoned and Sad, which is on Spotify and Apple Music and all that shiz. Uh, thank you so much again for tuning in. Um, I have been Hoss Bossman. And make sure between now and the next episode that you hear, which hopefully will be sooner than a month. I know it's like a little over a month before I got this one out, but... That song of Smalls you heard before, in the middle of the interview, was called C.C. from their latest album, The Catexis. 
We're riding out of this episode of Breadset with another small song, this one. It's called Open Casket. Go download some Severin's comedy album Stoned and Sad and also all of her band Smalls music albums at smalltebandbandcamp.com. Flood healing light into sentient being souls, etc. Oh and ivermectin my belly and ivermectin my baby back baby back baby back baby back. Reeves. To hear more of those, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, Bandcamp, Patreon, and probably other places, where I am mostly os underscore bossman. And all that's at www.osfunokeilofyubai. Before uh, you hear it, make sure you flood the soul of at least three sentient beings with healing light. Uh, and let it radiate through the cosmos and uh, do all that stuff. I love you so much and hope to see you back here and at all the Haas places again real soon. Mm-hmm.